turn your Bibles to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. That's where we have been and where we will continue to be as we uh, get ready to look at the Word of God this morning. Um, one of the things that... Well, hold on here. There we go. Now we're set. Um, it is the month of October. And uh, the month of October is usually a very busy month in the life of our church. One of the things that happens in October is we celebrate our anniversary as a congregation. This year is our 114th year. This is a, an anniversary of 114 years of ministry here at Perryville First Baptist Church. Began in October of 1906. 1906. That was a long time ago. In fact, uh, the, the President of the United States in 1906 was a man named Theodore Roosevelt. And President Roosevelt is, is known for a lot of things in history. Uh, one of the things that he is known for is his desire to protect and preserve the, the, the land uh, of, our, uh, of, our, of the United States, of our country. But he's also known for a desire that he had to protect and preserve history itself. He is known for somebody that had a great appreciation for history. And one of my favorite quotes comes from President Roosevelt, and he said this. He said, the more you know about the past, the better prepared you are for the future. The more you know about the past, the better prepared you are for the future. And maybe that's one of the reasons why when I was in college and trying to decide what to, uh, what to pursue as, as an undergraduate degree, uh, history just drew me in. It, it, history was always something that drew me in, even in high school. Maybe, it's, maybe you know, now I look back on it and, and think maybe it was uh, uh, to, to understand. Maybe, I, maybe it's because I want to understand more about where we are as a people, more about where we're headed as well. And that's one of the reasons why it's important for us to know and understand our history. And that is a very important thing in a day when, when the history of our nation is, is uh, being really redefined in many ways. Uh, there's a lot of attempts to redefine a lot of things and maybe even correct some things that uh, were misunderstood. But we need to understand our history because it helps us and better prepares us for the future. And in the book of Jude, the younger brother of Jesus and James, the book of Jude tells us that, that believers in Christ are called to contend for the faith. What he means when he says to contend for the faith is that we are to stand for what is right in the eyes of God. You know, like, like many of the great influencers of culture, Jude provokes his readers by turning to lessons from their past. This morning, as we look at Jude, we're going to look at verses 5 and 6, and we're going to see that contenders learn from the fake and the fallen. Contenders, someone that's going to stand for what is right in the eyes of God, will be able to do so, and one of the ways that we do so is by learning from the mistakes and the follies of the fake and 
the fallen. So I want to draw your attention to the book of Jude, chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 5 and read to verse 6. Now I want to remind you, though you know all these things, the Lord first saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And he is kept with eternal chains in darkness for the judgment of the great day, the angels who did not keep their own position but deserted their proper dwelling. Father, we thank you for today. And Lord, as we, as we dig into this passage, Father, that, uh, that is uh, maybe even confusing to some, but Father, we understand that it is, it is very theologically rich and deep. And Father, the, uh, the, the result of studying this, Father, would give us uh, just practical uh, principles for how to live as a believer in Christ. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So remember what has happened in the first, uh, first four verses in the book of Jude already. Jude has introduced himself. He, he gives us a little glimpse of his testimony and who he is and how he came uh, to believe that Jesus was not just his brother, but Jesus was the Messiah from heaven, you know, that God sent to be our Savior. He talks about that, and then he transitions from introducing himself, he transitions in verses 3 and 4 to talking about what it is that is really the message and the heart of his, his writing, which is, he says, I want you to contend for the faith. He says, I want you to understand that you need to stand for what is right. And then he begins to warn them. That's what we see in, 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 in verses really 5 through 7. We're only looking at 5 and 6 right now. But he, he goes through verses 5 through 7 giving them specific examples from their past to illustrate the importance of his message. He warns them about false teachers. He warns them about, uh, about following false gospels or false messages. He, he's warning them about how dangerous it is to be influenced by the wrong people. And, and so he, he's talking about, he, he gives two examples that we're going to talk about here this morning. Uh, he, he's going to give the first example. He's going to give what I call the fake. You say, well, well, who are the fake? Well, the fake are the people who call themselves Christians, yet willingly and unapologetically live in habitual sin that contradicts the character commands in the Word of God. And when I say that they live in habitual sin, I, I, I'm also talking about many of the, the things that they hold to. So they may say, I go to church every week. I worship the Lord all the time. I jump through certain hoops that I'm told to jump through. But I have some different opinions on what is right and what is wrong. Uh, and so my opinions may differ from the Word of God because whatever, it doesn't matter, because they're living 
and they're advocating for things that are uh, contrary to the Word of God. They're living apart from God's character. And they advocate for things that are not consistent with the Word of God. It, it would be similar to somebody in this room saying, Hey, I follow Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's all good with me. Oh, but yeah, you know, I know that the Bible says that stealing is a sin. But, you know, I just can't help myself. I go to my therapist. My therapist says I'm a kleptomaniac. I just can't help it. So, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm okay with, uh, with, with, with stealing because, hey, if, if God didn't want me to steal, he wouldn't give me the desire to steal. That's, that's the kind of thinking that is going on in the church in the day of Jude. And Jude is saying, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Now, Jude doesn't say to not love those people. He never says not to reach out to those people. In fact, what we will see as we move through Jude is that, uh, is that part of contending for the faith is learning to reach out to those people without being pulled in to the same things that they struggle with. But Jude is making it very clear up front that you need to learn. You need to learn from your history. He says, be careful. Don't don't, don't, don't follow these fake people in the church. Just because they say they worship Jesus does not mean that everything they believe is right in the eyes of God. And so, so he, he begins to talk about and show them examples from their past of people who, who, who identified themselves as believers. And we're going to see that's the fake. Um, and we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to talk about them here in a little bit. Uh, but he, he gives two examples, the fake, which we're going to come back to in a little bit. And then the second example, example number two, is the fallen. So, so he gives this example of the fallen. Who are the fallen? The fallen are fallen angels. He talks about angels. He's not talking about, uh, about angels that are in heaven today. He's talking about the fallen angels cast out of heaven along with Lucifer, who is the devil, or Satan, along with Lucifer because they joined his effort to rebel against God. Those are the fallen. And so he, he, wants, them, he wants them to understand from the fake and the fallen. And so he says, look in verse 6 again, it says, he says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own dwelling or left their own abode, some translations say, scripture teaches us uh, that at some point prior to the temptation of Adam and Eve, you remember Adam and Eve in the garden, everything's perfect, and the serpent you know, comes and says, Eve, won't you try that apple? You guys have heard that, I guess. And, and so sometime prior to that, uh, after creation and prior to the temptation, there was a war in heaven when God created, uh, there was a war in heaven between the angels. And here's the thing, when God created the angels, Scripture tells us that there was one particular angel that was created, and Scripture says, exceedingly beautiful. And that angel's name was Lucifer. He uh, would go on to become known in reference to Satan or the devil or the enemy in Scripture. And throughout, 
scripture, we see some different things about angels, okay? They were, they were created, and they were created for certain purposes. We see that, that angels are uh, intelligent creatures, okay? They're capable of making moral choices, and they exist to obey God's command and to carry out His instructions. Now, there's so much more we could say about angels, but just to summarize it, we see these are all things that we see examples of in Scripture. They carry out God's, God's instructions. They carry out God's will. You remember when Jesus taught, uh, taught the disciples to pray, and he says, uh, uh, and, uh, he says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, it is the, the angels who carry out the will of God in heaven. And the angels are uh, part of what they do on earth is they carry out the instructions that God gives them to do on earth. They sometimes will bring messages to people from God. They were used to carry out some of God's judgments by uh, some examples would be by bringing a plague upon Israel in 2 Samuel. Uh, we see in 2 Chronicles that the angels are defeating the leaders of the Syrian army, striking them. We see in the book of Acts that uh, there's an angel that strikes King Herod dead because he did not give God glory. In the book of Revelation, we see this, uh, that there's an angel that pours out the bowls of God's wrath on the earth. We also know that one day Jesus will come back to this earth and that he will be accompanied by angels. The book of Zechariah tells us that angels patrol the earth, that they patrol the earth as God's representatives. Uh, we know from the book of Daniel, we know from Revelation, we see it referred to in the book of Ephesians as well, that there is a war against spiritual forces and it are the angels. The, one of the things that the angels do is they participate in that, in that war, that spiritual war against what is now a war between what is right in the eyes of God and what is evil. We know that angels exist to glorify God. In Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. So we say, we see that in Psalm 103, that angels, one of the things that they do is to bless God, glorify God by doing what he has said. So we could go on and on and on about some different examples of angels, but what, what I want you to understand for the purposes of this morning are that angels have a very special job in the kingdom of God. In Lucifer, this angel that God had created, one of the angels he had created, was highly ranked in the hierarchy of angels. Many theologians believe that Lucifer was one of three archangels, which would have been, uh, according to that theory, would have been Lucifer and Michael and Gabriel, that, uh, that Lucifer was one of those three that, uh, that, that led a third of the army of angels under the direct, the direct, if I can say that, the direct command of God. Lucifer had a very important job, but that wasn't good enough for him. Isaiah 14 tells us that his aspiration was not to obey God, but to overthrow God. He says, I will set up my throne upon the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the gods 
assembly. And that's exactly what Lucifer, the devil, set out to do. Figured he would need an army, an army just like any good coup. You need an army for a revolution like that. And so he convinced a third of the angels in heaven, most likely the angels that were under his command, to join in his rebellion. And as you know and probably have heard, uh, that rebellion was defeated. And so Lucifer and his army of angels were kicked out of heaven, cast out of heaven. And, and, and in Luke 10, Jesus says, And I saw Satan fall. And that's what he's talking about when Satan and his angels fell from heaven. By the way, when you talk about falling, you know, typically if you think about falling, you think about tripping and it's an accident. Oh no, they were kicked out of heaven, okay? They fell because they were pushed. They were pushed because of their rebellion and their sin against God. Matthew 25 tells us that God created a place called hell as the final, final resting place for Satan and his fallen angels. Also in that passage, often just called demons. Now there's a, lot, a little more to the angel history that Jude is referring to, and we're going to dig into that a little more next time. But I want you to understand the context and understand sort of the way that Jude is moving through his case that he is making. He's saying, be contenders of the faith. Stand for what is right. Don't fall into the trappings of deceit. Don't be deceived. And he mentions these angels, and when he does, I begin thinking about the angels who fell from heaven. I begin thinking about, I wonder if they realize the fullness, or even, even somewhere even close to the, the fullness of what they gave up when they decided to follow Satan and his rebellion. As they, as they wait for a final judgment, that final judgment's in the lake of fire. Think about the fact that they gave up eternal peace with God. They gave up the, the, uh, the ability that they had to fulfill their created purpose. Everybody in this world seems to want to talk about the universe and, you know, and, and uh, harmony in the universe. You want harmony in the universe? Learn your God-created purpose. And they gave that up. They gave up an eternity with God. None of the angels had to give any of that up. They were able to make their own choices. They were not forced to rebel. They were convinced to, but they were not forced to. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? What well, has to do with you and me and that Scripture is abundantly obvious that whether you are a human being or an angelic being, when it comes to rebelling against God, and I know we have a typo here, but let me say it straight, when it comes to rebelling against God, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Be a contender of the faith. Stand for what is right in the eyes of God. Contenders will learn from the history of the fake and the history of the fallen. The history of the fallen teaches us that the reality of sin never looks like the fantasy of it. Okay? 
the, the history of the fall and teaches us that the reality of sin, there's that typo, never looks like the fantasy of it. Okay, I don't know what they thought they were going to get. They must have thought, hey, if, if, if Lucifer can overthrow God's, God's kingdom, then he will be boss. And because we followed him, then we will have uh, uh, maybe uh, more of influence or more power. I don't know what all he promised them, but what we understand really from both the history of the fake and the fallen, as we will see in just a minute, is that the reality of sin it never looks like the fantasy of it. So what about those fakes? Who are the fakes again? Who, who, who are this, what are we talking about in this example number one that Jude gives? Well, the fake people, again, are those who call themselves Christians, yet willingly and unapologetically live in habitual sin that contradicts the character, commands, and word of God. Look at verse 5. I want you to notice verse 5 here. It says, The Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. So he's, he's, re he's referencing something that had happened some 1,300 years before that time. Something that was well established in their history. The, the, uh, the exodus. We see that he's talking about the exodus from Egypt. He says, The Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So Jude turns to this well-known example from the history. An example, by the way, that at one time served to remind God's people of his character. A, a, an example that at one time would have uh, been a story that would have been told and passed around and taught, not only because they were commanded to do it, because it was Holy Scripture, the Word of God, but also it would have given them courage. It would have inspired them, and it would have served as a, as a warning to future generations about the dangers of rejecting the commands and desires of God. But for some reason, the believers in Jude's day, it's not that they didn't know this, it's just that for some reason they had forgotten the lessons of the history. It's not that they had forgotten the actual story, but they had somehow become disconnected from the lessons of those, story, that, uh, those stories that had, should have prepared them for the things that they were up against in that day and the things that they would be up against in the future. So let me just give you a little, just a brief summary of what he's talking about here with uh, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. Around 1,300 years before Christ, God answered the prayers of, the, the, of his people, of the Israelites, because they were in bondage, in slavery. And I don't mean, I don't mean just, uh, uh, just slavery as, uh, as an illustration or as an analogy. They were in literal slavery in Egypt. They were the ones that were building the buildings. They were the ones that were, uh, that, that were harvesting much of, the, uh, much of the supplies. They were a huge part of the success of Egypt, but they were slaves. They were in chains in Egypt, and they were praying to God to liberate them, and then he did. The power of God showed up in such a mighty way that the mighty Pharaoh of Egypt would allow the people of Israel to go free, for a little bit at least. 
He was convinced to let him go, but then he changed his mind because, uh, because he continued to resist, uh, resist uh, the, the leading of God. And, and, and God removed this spirit that had, uh, from Pharaoh that had sort of changed his mind into letting people, letting the Israelites go. And Pharaoh got mad because of his own pride and arrogance and all of that stuff. And so he follows after the people of Israel. And if you haven't read the book of Exodus in a while, it is an amazing Amazing book. You should go check it out. We know that eventually Pharaoh catches up with them. They're at the, at, the, uh, at the edge of the Red Sea, and it seems like they're pinned in, and they've got nowhere to go, and the army may just go ahead and collapse on them and destroy the people, destroy the Israelite army, and take the slaves back, take the survivors back, and then all of a sudden God enables Moses to part the Red Sea, and the people of God are able to escape through the parting of the Red Sea, eventually Pharaoh and his army follows them into the Red Sea where it is collapsed down on top of Pharaoh and his army, and the army of Pharaoh is destroyed. And so not only are God's people liberated, but the enemies of God are destroyed. God did some amazing things in that generation. Think about, think about the, the fact that these people saw the plagues of Egypt. They saw Moses crossed the Red Sea. They themselves crossed the Red Sea. They saw God send manna from heaven. God provided them food by raining bread from heaven on a regular basis. That was, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I, if I went out and got up in the morning and, and there was bread in my yard, that would be pretty cool. I mean, I'd have to tweet about that, Instagram it. I'd figure out how to do Snapchat so I could let everybody know about the bread that God had grown on my lawn that you could eat, you know. Uh, that would be a big deal. This was old hat to these people. That was stuff that they, were, that, that they experienced on a regular basis. God always provided them with the water and the things that they need as they wandered through the wilderness. And all of them, identified themselves as children of God. All of them claimed to be believers of God who had brought them out of Egypt. But what did they do when God brought them out of Egypt and God provided for them and blessed them so abundantly? What did they do? They grumbled and they complained. They sinned against God. They, they fashioned a golden calf and worshipped it. I mean, if there's one thing that you are absolutely, I mean, the sin of sin of sin of sins, if you, I mean, all sin is the same, but I mean, I'm telling you, when it comes to the sin of idolatry and worshipping other things, that seems to be a very, very big deal in the eyes of God, and that's exactly what they did all while proclaiming themselves to be followers of God, people of God. And time after time, God gave them another chance and another chance. Over a period of two years, they would wander in the wilderness and they would do stupid things and God would give them another chance and another chance. And then they came to the edge of the promised land. This is the land that God had promised their ancestors the land that they wondered if they would ever see, and they were on the edge of the promised land in a place called Kadesh Barnea, and when they were there, God told them it's time to go and take possession of the land, and they did what a lot of people do when God asks them to do something that they don't want to do. They began to negotiate. <laughs> 
well, wait a minute, God. We don't really know who all's there. I mean, you know, what if there are some powerful people there? What if we go over there and then we just all die? I, I don't know if that's really in our best interest, Lord. And, and so they said, well, I'll tell you what. Let's send some spies over and, and, and see. We want to see how, how tough the people are there. We want to see if the land is really worth it, if we really go over there, if it's going to be worth all this effort. And God says, you yeah, know, okay, whatever. Really, Moses does that, but, but, it, but Moses says, fine. Go do it. Whatever. That's fine. And so they go over, they see the land, they see that there are some powerful people, but then they see how awesome the land is, and they see this everything that God told them that it would be, and, and which was another reason for them to trust God. They come back, and God says, all right, now it's time to go. And they say, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. In fact, uh, in, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, it tells us that the people were not willing to go up. It says in Deuteronomy to the Israelites, it says, You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord brought us out here, out of this land of Egypt, to hand us over to the Amorites in order to destroy us because he hates us. That's exactly what it says. Where can we go? Our brothers made us, have made us lose heart, saying the people are larger and taller than we are. The cities are large and fortified to the heavens. And Jude says, you remember that story? He says, how'd that work out for them? Because Scripture tells us that, that because of that rebellion, Israel would wander around in the wilderness on the edge of the promised land for 38 more years. The ones who had rejected God's purpose. The ones who said, yes, I believe in you, God, but oh, no, I am not going to do that. <laughs> You've just asked too much, right? You've stepped a little too far into my business. He said to those people, those people who claimed to believe and refused to do what God had called them to do, all those people, most of whom... Most of the people from the entire generation of those who were the Exodus generation that came out of Egypt would die having never stepped foot in the promised land of God. Now, they said a lot of the right things. They did a lot of the right things. They did some wrong things, yes, but, but, but you can look at the history and you can see they did a lot of the right things. They said they believed in God. But here's the deal. They did not believe God enough to do what he had commanded them to do. I don't know if that hits home with anybody here today. Jude says, contend for the faith. That means we should contend for the truth. We should contend for the relevance and the truth of God's word. We should contend for the relevance and the truth of the gospel and the relevance and the truth and the authority of Scripture, of the Bible. Yet a lot of people in our culture, including many, uh, many who would say, hey, I believe in Jesus. Many who would say, I'm a person of faith. Many of them say that. And then they contend against the word of God. Oh, I got my truth, they'll say. Well, Jude reminds us there's no such thing as my truth or my way. We are to contend for the way. 
the truth, and the life. Because Jesus said, no man comes in the Father but by me. You know what the problem was for the fake and the fallen? It wasn't just their rebellion. Oh, that was a problem. Yes, absolutely. It wasn't just their rebellion against God's purpose and plan. You see, their rebellion against God's purpose and plan was a symptom of a bigger problem. The Bible says that it was the problem of unbelief. Scripture tells us in Hebrews and in other places that the people that died from that generation died because of their unbelief. Okay, Now, we're all going to die. But they died without experiencing the promised land. They never crossed in. They did all the right things. But because of their, their unbelief, they never got to cross into promised land. They never got to experience the fullness of God's blessing. Friends, before we can really understand and benefit from what the Lord has for us in the book of Jude, we need to ask ourselves, do I believe? Do I believe in what God says? Do I believe in the truth of God's word? Do I believe in the gospel? Do I believe that there is one and only truth? And do I believe that there is one and only way to God? Do I believe that there is one ultimate authoritative book in the universe. Do I believe that? Because that's exactly what Jesus taught. Say, so, well, I believe in Jesus, but I believe there are different ways to God. Well, you don't believe in Jesus because he said, I am the, the way. You say, well, 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 I believe in the Bible, but I, I, you know, I believe this is okay, or I believe that something else is wrong. Well, does it go against what the Bible says? If it does, then you don't really believe in the authority of the Bible. So that's what Jesus taught. And we need to ask ourselves, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in what Jesus says? Do you, do you believe in the gospel first and foremost? That is the most important question. Do you believe in the message of the gospel that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and that faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone will bring us redemption with God. Do you believe that? I'm not asking you if you do good things. I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm asking you, do you believe? Because in John chapter 3, we're told that God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 of John 3, it says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus did not come to make your life miserable. He came to liberate you from the chains and the shackles of sin and the deceptions of the enemy. Verse 18 says this, Anyone who believes in him, talking about Jesus, is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Friends, do you believe? The fake 
and the fallen. They both contended for the flesh and for the deceptions of the enemy. They did not contend for the truth of our faith. What do you believe? Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we close in prayer?